Hi, I'm Ari from Murder Under the Midnight Sun. You're listening to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, a podcast about true crime in schools. So join Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host, as she presents the bad apples within the school system. You will hear school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable, and outright bizarre. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today for episode number 65. Now, before we get into the story, I think I need to make an apology to any of you listening from Canada. In a previous episode, I talked about how when I think of Canada, I just think of it being so cold. Well, I got an email from a lovely lady from Canada who corrected me that there are actually some really warm places in Canada. She mentioned that some parts are like California in the US. I get that Canada is a huge country and just like Australia, the climate varies considerably from one place to another. And what I was trying to say is that I really feel the cold and that I'm lucky where I live here that winter is about 22 degrees Celsius on average. So what I was trying to say that in my mind, anywhere else, it seems quite cold for me. So my apologies to any Canadians out there if I didn't quite describe your country correctly. Let's do some shout outs. Hello to Androse Lucero, Lydia Choi, Makoto Kobayashi, Anna Thorgana, Catherine Rao, Angela Sidlechi, and Sophie Louise. And today we're going to visit the country of Russia, an absolutely fascinating country. Let's find out some things about it. The city of Moscow is known as the billionaire capital of the world, with New York in second place. Now, do you enjoy playing golf? If you do, you might want to go to Moscow as they play a version of golf called helicopter golf. The ball is about one metre in diameter or three feet and it is hit with a stick which is about 10 kilograms or 22 pounds. Now I have watched a video and it is fascinating. So what they do is they hit the ball, then they get back into the helicopter and the helicopter then follows the ball. The person then gets out and they hit the ball again and they just keep on doing that. (laughs) Isn't that just Oh, I'd love to play that. I watched a video of it, so I'm going to put that video into the Facebook group. But if you just search helicopter golf in Russia, I'm sure you could find it. And now here is another interesting fact about McDonald's. Russia has the largest McDonald's restaurant in the world, which has 700 seats. And this next fact is a superstition about flowers. It's common to give someone a dozen roses, but in Russia, men never give women an even amount of flowers because it's considered bad luck. And finally, the Guinness Book of World Records has an entry for the most number of births by a single woman. So what is your guess? A woman in Russia gave birth to 69 children. This included 16 pairs of twins, 7 sets of triplets, and 4 sets of quadruplets. So, let's preview the story today. It's called Load of Rubbish. The high school teacher was missing. Where was she? The story today took place in the US in 2013. 
a teacher by the name of Colleen Ritzer taught at the Danvers High School in the state of Massachusetts. She was 24 years old and had been teaching for two years. Her subject of specialty was mathematics. She was also working towards a master's degree at the Salem State University. Colleen knew from a young age that she wanted to be a teacher. She recalled her own teachers who had made an impact on her growing up, including her preschool teacher who would go on to be a lifelong friend. Colleen was known for explaining complicated mathematical concepts in an easy way, helping students to develop a love of maths when previously they had shown much reluctance. Colleen lived with her parents and her brother and sister. As with many teachers, including myself, Colleen had a consistent routine of coming home from school at 3.30pm. On a particular day in 2013, Colleen hadn't come home yet and her family thought maybe she had made other plans, but by dinner time she still wasn't home. So her family tried calling her cell phone. When she didn't answer, they tried calling her friends and her teacher colleagues, but no one knew where she was. Her father then went to her school and found her car still in the parking lot. Here is Colleen's father recounting what happened. The day started like every other. Colleen came to our bedroom door before she left for work to say I love you and goodbye, just like she did every day. It wasn't until that afternoon, when she didn't come home and Peggy hadn't heard from her, that we started to get concerned. As the day went on and we still hadn't heard from her, Peggy asked me to stop by the school on my way home from work. I saw her car and I looked around her car, it was locked and everything looked normal. I went inside the school and asked a student where Colleen's classroom was. She didn't know but she pointed me to the second floor where the maths classrooms were. I went to Colleen's classroom and Miss Ritzer was on the door. The door was locked, but I looked in the window and she wasn't there. I walked through the school and asked several people if they had seen Colleen, but no one had. There was lots of activity and people around. I was sure Colleen was there somewhere. I just didn't know where to look. I thought for sure she was either there or out with some friends and just forgot to tell us. It was then that I left the school. We still hadn't heard from Colleen, but we had heard on the news that a student at the school was missing. I then drove back to the school and there was a police car there now and we met Sarah, the principal, and the superintendent and went into the office. Someone was looking at surveillance videos. No one knew where Colleen was, but it was certain that something was wrong. By 11pm, they told us to go to the Danvers Police Station to fill out a missing persons report. The police waiting room was small. We waited for many hours. At some point in the night, I heard a helicopter in the distance. It wasn't moving, but just staying in one place, and I knew that wasn't good. Then someone came out of the back rooms and I overheard them say, crime scene. I prayed constantly that night. First I prayed they'd find Colleen and she'd be safe. But after I heard the helicopter, my prayers changed to please don't let it be Colleen. Two men came and got us and brought us into the office and told us that Colleen was dead. 
she'd been killed by the missing student. Our world ended at that point. They left us alone in the office and we cried and cried. Colleen's body was found in nearby woods. She had been raped and her throat had been cut. The subsequent police investigation was able to determine the following sequence of events. After school that day had finished, Colleen stayed behind as she and other teachers normally did. On that particular day, she had asked a student of hers to stay behind to help him with some maths. The surveillance cameras showed Colleen walking through the hallway to the ladies' restroom at 2.54pm. She was smiling and she waved to someone who couldn't be seen on the camera. She then entered the restroom. Shortly after, the boy that she had been helping also walked out into the hallway but then went back into the classroom. He emerged again and this time had his sweatshirt hood over his head. He then walked into the same restroom where Colleen had gone. At 3.07pm, 13 minutes after Colleen went inside, he emerged and walked out to the student parking lot. He came back into the building two minutes later wearing a white t-shirt and then went back into the classroom. Two minutes later, he came out of the classroom wearing a red hooded sweatshirt. Then he was seen taking a recycling bin into the restroom and came out wearing a white t-shirt and black mask, pulling the bin behind him. He got into an elevator with the bin and then went outside. About 45 minutes later, he was seen coming back into the school wearing a black shirt and glasses and carrying a pair of jeans. He went back into the restroom and a minute later came out and left the school. Just after midnight, the police found the boy walking along a nearby highway. He had a knife and a blood-stained box cutter. They also found Colleen's credit cards, driver's license and underwear in his backpack. The police found Colleen near the school, covered with leaves and debris. The recycling bin was nearby, as were blood-soaked gloves. They also found a handwritten note that said, I hate you all. It was also established that after leaving Colleen, he had gone to the Hollywood Hits Theatre and purchased a movie ticket with Colleen's credit card. The police were able to find another student who had been in Colleen's classroom that afternoon as well. The boy had been in Colleen's last class for the day and then stayed behind getting help with his maths. The other student said Colleen and the boy were talking about China and then Colleen mentioned Tennessee. The boy had previously lived in Tennessee and had only been at the school for a few months. He seemed to get visibly upset when Colleen mentioned Tennessee, and she then changed the subject. So it seems that this may have triggered something in the boy. After further investigations, the police attained evidence from a female student who had gone into the restroom, and she said she saw a person who appeared to be changing clothes. Clothes had been piled on the floor and she saw the person's rear and promptly left the restroom. Here is what the student recalled. I opened the door. I didn't step all the way into the girl's room. When I opened the door, 
I could see someone's bare behind. They were leaning towards the sinks. I couldn't see an upper half of them. They were standing, but they were like leaning over. I just turned around and left. So from the details that I provided, you can see that this was an absolutely brutal crime. The surveillance cameras helped to piece together what happened. There are many still photos taken from the camera footage, which makes what Colleen went through even more horrific. There is one photo showing him coming out of the classroom and heading towards the restroom. Then another photo shows him with blood on his jeans and hands. And the most horrific, a photo showing him pulling the bin along the hallway. He is then seen again walking along a footpath next to a road pulling the bin. And this next part I just could not believe. There is also a man seen in the same shot with the boy and the man is walking his dog and this man was only a few meters away. So you're just walking your dog not knowing that this person near you has a dead person in a bin. How do I can't even comprehend that. You know, we hear stories, we hear crime stories like this one, but seeing the actual footage is just beyond chilling. Now I'm going to go on to briefly discuss the trial, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about the boy, as I want this episode to be about Colleen. The court heard about the boy's early life, that his parents had split up, and the defence tried to paint the boy as being greatly affected by this. Other than this, there was nothing else in his school years that indicated a troubled boy. Here is what his soccer coach said. I'm sure any of his teammates would say the same thing, that he was just the nicest kid on the team. It's completely out of character. It's not something that I would ever imagine blank ever doing. Always the most respectful kid that I've, you know, had around. Yes, sir. No, sir. During the trial, the court was shown the video footage of the boy and also photos of Colleen but I am leaving out more of the details of what Colleen went through because it was just awful. Following jury deliberations, the following verdict was delivered. Guilty of first degree murder. On the day of the sentencing, various family and friends read out victim impact statements. I watched a video and I was just so struck by how they were reading their statements so close to the judge. Usually you see the judge sitting at his bench and the statements are being read out by people some distance away. But this was just so intimate. They were sitting right in front of him and he could almost reach out to touch them. It was really lovely to watch. The judge was looking at them right in the eye. I have never seen anything like this before. I will now play you some audio of Colleen's father and his impact statement. Two years ago, my daughter Colleen's life was viciously and horrifically taken from her. She was brutally raped, robbed, and murdered in what she believed to be the safety of her own school. You're here today to determine the sentence for her killer for these three distinct and separate crimes. In order for you to do this, you must fully understand who Colleen was and how she, her loss has devastated our family. It is next impossible to put into words the impact losing Colleen has had, especially in such a horrific way. Hopefully I can give you a sense of what a special person Colleen was and how her death has crushed our family. Colleen was our firstborn, our baby girl, the oldest of three beautiful children. I'll never forget the day Colleen was born. It changed my life forever. 
I remember holding her, having no idea what to do, but also knowing I was holding the most precious gift a father could ever have, his baby girl. Colleen truly was daddy's little girl. Colleen will never get to have her own life. She will never meet her husband. She will never have her own family or home. Colleen loved her family and friends so much, she would have been so excited about having her own kids to raise and teach and her own family to love and watch grow. She would have been a great mom and wife. I will never get to walk Colleen down the aisle at her wedding. I'll never give her away at the altar or have that father-daughter dance at her wedding. I so look forward to doing that and watching her raise her own family and have her own home. I hate she'll never have that. Now, here is the statement that the judge read out at the sentencing. When something terrible happens, people will often say, it could always be worse. It is difficult for this court to imagine what could be worse than an individual or a family to endure than the brutal and senseless murder of Colleen Ritzer. Colleen Ritzer lived a life of quiet heroism. That's what most teachers do. Henry Adams observed that a teacher affects eternity. One can never tell where that influence stops. Colleen Ritzer's parents, more than most, have learned the reach of their daughter's influence, but at a cost that no parent should have to endure. Colleen Ritzer loved her job, her family, friends, students and co-workers. The depth of that love was manifest today. She was loved and valued by her family, friends, students and so many people whose lives she touched. To paraphrase the book of Proverbs, who can find a woman of valour? Her value is far beyond pearls. The defendant did not start life on third base. The court points this out not by way of excuse or even explanation, but because it is true. Sometimes his father was living in the family home, sometimes he wasn't. Although the defendant's father was not present during the trial, his presence was still palpable. He was abusive, harsh, unfaithful and unpredictable. The defendant's mother worked hard to provide for her family emotionally and financially with mixed success. After living in Tennessee and a brief stint in Florida with his father, the defendant moved to Danvers with his mother and sister in the late spring of 2013. He started as a freshman at Danvers High School that fall. While the extent or lack of extent of the defendant's mental health was the subject of exhaustive testimony at trial. The Commonwealth presented overwhelming evidence that the defendant had substantial capacity to appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct and had the substantial capacity to conform his conduct to the requirements of the law. The defendant was quiet, polite, athletic and had no prior criminal record. Then, on October the 23rd, 2013, he carefully and deliberately prepared to kill his maths teacher. The school day ended at 1.55pm, but Colleen Ritzer, like thousands of other conscientious teachers, was not done with her workday. As was her practice, she stayed after school to make herself available for students who needed academic help. Colleen Ritzer's practice was to arrive home late in the afternoon 
chat with her mother, and then get to work planning for the next day's lessons. Colleen Ritz's mother testified so poignantly about how her daughter would come home and walk into her mum's home office and ask about her day, anxious for her turn to tell her mother about her own day preparing children for the world. There would be no mother-daughter chat that Tuesday afternoon. While Colleen's mother waited for her loving daughter, the defendant violently raped Colleen Ritzer. He viciously, brutally and senselessly attacked Colleen in the girls' bathroom just feet from the classroom where she was in her second year of living her dream of being a teacher. When the defendant was finished in the bathroom, he put Colleen Ritzer inside a recycle bin and wheeled her to the woods. Colleen Ritzer was found dead hours later after a frantic search by law enforcement. The jury found to a moral certainty that the defendant killed Colleen Ritzer and he was criminally responsible for her murder. This court will impose a sentence in this case without emotion, passion, sympathy or pity. There is no right sentence. No amount of prison time would ever be enough to be commensurate with this crime and no math will ever erase the reality that this crime was committed by a 14-year-old boy. While this court is constitutionally required to consider that there is always the possibility of redemption, even if the defendant were to live a perfect life from this moment on, his repeated stab wounds to Colin Ritz's young body will remain indelible with Colleen Ritzer's family, friends and community until the last person who knew Colleen Ritzer takes his or her last breath. Our Massachusetts Declaration of Right and the United States Constitution require this court to consider the defendant's age, the possibility of rehabilitation and the brain development of adolescence when imposing a sentence. This court also takes into consideration the nature and circumstances of the crime, public safety, general deterrence, the crime's impact on Colleen Ritzer and her family, and the risk of recidivism. I will punish the defendant for the murder of Colleen Ritzer, and I will punish him for the rape, as well as the armed robbery of the underpants she put on on the morning of her death, but I may not utilise the horrific rape and the robbery of Colin Ritzer to punish the defendant for this unspeakable murder more than the law allows. Sentencing a human being to prison comes with a solemn obligation to craft a sentence no more or less than justice requires. This court will impose the mandatory life sentence for the murder of Colleen Ritzer and set a parole eligibility date of 25 years, the highest level our law and constitution allows. This court will impose a concurrent sentence of 40 years to 40 years and one day for the armed robbery. In imposing a sentence for the rape at a date in excess of the parole eligibility date for the murder, the court is not suggesting that the rape, as heinous as it was, was more egregious than the murder. Rather, this court is constitutionally obligated to set a parole date of no more than 25 years for her murder. While Colleen Ritz's rape and murder were inextricably intertwined, this court may not punish the defendant with more prison time for the rape than justice demands 
for the purpose of avoiding the constitutional limitations imposed by our Massachusetts Declaration of Rights as interpreted by our Supreme Judicial Court for murder committed by a juvenile. I'm now going to go on to describe how the family reacted to the sentence. They were bitterly disappointed as they had wanted life without parole for juveniles convicted of first-degree murder. Here is some audio of Colleen's mother talking about their reaction to the sentence. We are devastated and feel betrayed with Judge Lowy's inability to give three consecutive life sentences without the eligibility of parole to the individual that took Colleen's life in such a horrific manner. We are disgusted and personally offended with the defense's repulsive recommendation that Colleen's killer be parole eligible within 15 years, therefore putting him back into society at age 29 to kill again. The defense's legal maneuvering is despicable and demonstrates utmost disrespect for our daughter and sister, Colleen's life. Evil cannot be rehabilitated. Today's sentence is unacceptable and the laws must be changed. Although we very much appreciate this court's commitment to seeking justice for Colleen, today's sentence did not achieve that goal. We recognize that Judge David Lowy was faced with a difficult decision, one that was unfairly restricted by the imprudent actions of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court that decided juveniles who deliberately commit heinous crimes cannot be sentenced to life without parole. Colleen's family, friends, students, and those who admired her have been given a life sentence without parole, but not the individual who committed the heinous act. This is wrong and unjust. Today's sentencing does not conclude the legal process. The journey to ensure justice for Colleen has just begun. Because of the SJC restrictions, our family will be forced to attend parole hearings beginning in 38 years, which is simply unimaginable to us. We will have to relive that day with every hearing. As Tom and I age, Colleen's brother and sister, Dan and Laura, will assume this responsibility. However, we want to be very clear. At every parole hearing, our family's voice, Colleen's voice, will be heard. Now let's go on to talk about Colleen's memorial service. At her service, her mother Peggy made this impassioned address to the people gathered. This has been a very difficult year for Tom, Dan, Laura and I, and we would not be here tonight without the love and support of so many people. Each day is more difficult than the last. Time has not made it easier to accept. Colleen's absence from our lives becomes more evident as time passes. Whether it is at the dinner table, a vacation, a family photograph or a family gathering, her absence is always felt and that absence grows stronger with each event. Her laugh and her smile are always missing. It is sometimes difficult to be in this church. I was baptised in this church and received my sacraments here. Tom and I were married in this church by Reverend Rich. Colleen, Dan and Laura were baptised and confirmed in this church. We should not have had to have a funeral at this church. Our strength to come here and to get through each day and each gathering comes from all of you. Tom and I are blessed to have Dan and Laura. Their strength amazes us each and every day. Their ability to excel in their lives under very difficult circumstances is remarkable. The grace and maturity that they show makes us very proud and Colleen will be very proud of them. 
They give us the hope for a better tomorrow, and more importantly, they put a smile on our faces. To our family and friends that have always been a part of our lives, to acquaintances that have become close friends, to Colleen's friends that have become our friends, and to those who never met Colleen or knew us before that day and have chosen to become a part of our lives. You are our strength and your support gives us the strength to get through each day. A text, an email, a voice on the other end of the phone, a walk or a visit has turned many difficult dark days into brighter days. It lets us know we are not alone and we are very grateful for that. Your kind gestures, no matter how small they may seem to you, make a big difference in our lives. There are many days that I struggle to find the good, but just when I think it is not there, someone always seems to come along. You are our good in every day. I want to thank Colleen's students who sent cards, letters and scrapbooks that gave us an insight into what Colleen was like as a teacher in the classroom. We never had the opportunity to see Colleen teach and found it difficult to picture her in front of a room full of students. But your messages gave us the opportunity to see her as a teacher and we are very grateful for that. Colleen liked the simple things in life. Last summer, she began keeping a jar where she would write down something good from every day. I have not looked at any of them, but the few that I did look at are very simple things. From a favourite dessert, to dinner with friends, to home alone being on TV yet again. That's all it took to put a smile on her face, a smile that could light up a room. I received a letter the other day from a friend I had at St. Augustine School. I don't think I have spoken to her since 8th grade, but she wrote me a letter that she has been working on since last fall. She told me that she has the CR magnet on her car and that when people ask about what it stands for, she replies, what does CR stand for? It stands for a teacher who was good and kind and loving, who was passionate about what she taught and who loved the life she was given. It stands for the family that she left behind and their love and their sorrow. Colleen did love the life she was given and I loved the life I had. I did not choose this new life, but it is the life I have been given. Although I don't think I will be able to love this new life, I will choose to learn to live it. I will always remember her smile, her silliness, her kindness and her love and hope that those memories are stronger than the sadness and that will allow me to live this new life. I will do it for Colleen and for Tom, Dan and Laura. I will make sure that Dan and Laura have a happy life so that they can love the life they have been given. Although it is difficult to accept the fact that my daughter has a legacy, I am thankful that being good to people and being a caring, compassionate teacher is her legacy, and I am very thankful to all of you who continue to keep her legacy alive. In memory of Colleen, her family have set up the Colleen E. Ritzer Memorial Scholarship. People who wish to purchase a career in education can apply for an undergraduate scholarship. The website publishes the successful recipients and the family are involved in ongoing fundraising events in honour of Colleen. So what can I say about this? What happened to her has really affected me as a teacher as it came totally out of the blue. 
There was nothing about the boy that gave anyone a hint of what was to come. As teachers, we know who our kids are that are at risk or those who might have anxiety or other challenges. But for poor Colleen, she was just helping a student, which we as teachers do every day. And I just cannot believe that going into a school bathroom could end someone's life. Such a sad story. And I just don't know what else to say. So now let's preview the next episode. It's called Brazilian Beauty. Beatrice was at her school graduation night. What happened? And to finish, I will leave you with this quote from Colleen herself. She wrote the following on her Twitter account just two months before she died. No matter what happens in life, be good to people. Being good to people is a wonderful legacy to leave behind. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.